Hello and welcome Behind the Marquee, the podcast where, where we talk about everything that's going on inside and outside the world of art house and independent cinema, specifically the Michigan and State Theater here in Ann Arbor. We are in the downtown Ann Arbor District Library, and I am joined by two guests who also work at the Michigan State Theater. Please tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, my name is Nadine Persicosha Mass, and I'm one of the general managers at the State Theater. Hi, I'm Jean Remink, and I am the box office person at the State Theater. Thank you both for uh, being back here, being back after a little bit of a break uh, with the new year. Yeah, it's been a very busy, uh, very busy holiday season for us. I first have to ask the question to all of you, to to both of you, uh, what films you've seen uh, in the since uh, since we've uh, been on break here. Well, my favorite film that I've seen is a film we opened not too long ago. It's called The Favorite. Mm -hmm. We talked about this on past episodes, and I hadn't seen it at that point, but I'm happy to say that it met all of my expectations. It's by far my favorite film of the year. I've seen it... I've seen it twice now. And um, this director, Yorgos Lanthimos, is not what anyone would call a conventional filmmaker, <laughs> no. but this is probably his most conventional yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, and yet, I, I was as after I after the screening that I walked out of it because I think a lot of people come in thinking your typical period drama. Lots of people think that coming in, <laughs> and then they walk out halfway through after yeah. the fifth c word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of movie. Yeah. I, I I appreciated uh, uh, that denial of expectation, at least on mm-hmm. my part, because uh, even especially with his use of camera and his different lenses mm-hmm. that uh, that are in the film, he never quite lets you get comfortable Mm-mm. with where you are. You, 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 right. you're, you're in there and you're in the moment and you think, okay, I, I think I understand this world. And then boom, fisheye lens. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this looks like a skateboarding video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It made it all look kind of like a dollhouse. Yeah. It made all the people look very small and insignificant. I didn't and think about kind that. of crushed by the weight of the power that isn't really that's that's kind of what I really like about the movie because all these characters are extremely powerful people and yeah. yet they all behave as if they're just they're just kicking back, relaxing, yeah. <laughs> having a normal one. Uh-huh. But it's always there at like the the crushing weight of responsibility yeah. in the yes. outside world, and I feel like that's what those fisheye lenses mean. That's that's brilliant. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think yeah. about that. That's what happens when you see a movie twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not Mary Queen of Scots. No, that, you've seen that. Not. Nope, I haven't seen it. That's what we're also playing. But um, oh yeah. But that's one of the more typical, I think. Mm-hmm. You know what you expect. You walk in, I you find out about otherwise. history, and right. Yeah, I haven't seen it myself, but I, I think you're. I think it, that's pretty a, a pretty accurate statement. Whereas, yeah, the the two that are the powerful women in Mary Queen of Scots mm-hmm. are the royalty, mm-hmm, and sure. trying to you know making decisions and taking responsibility, mm, but yeah. also <laughs> the uh, making real decisions, making making actual decisions. Yeah. Whereas these two are just, it's their own avarice and their own need to climb their ladder and stay mm-hmm. close to the queen and be able to, on Rachel Weiss's side, you know, mm-hmm. start wars and, sure. you know, world wars <laughs> at the time. And, um, and, and the queen was just an idiot. 
it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and yet, sorry, I don't no, want to give no, too much away. But. No, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm thinking about how to dance around the plot points myself because I'm. I don't want to give anything away. But also, he never, as as I said, he never lets the the audience get comfortable. He never really lets the characters get comfortable either, because and there there's so many high and lows of these characters throughout the entire film. Where at one like in in in, in this scene, this is Olivia Coleman's uh, scene. She's Queen Anne, and she's the the, the power in this scene but then you could go from one set piece to the next and all of a sudden it's like Rachel Vice has the power and these characters are constantly doing this this teeter-totter of of power and it's uh just it never lets anyone there's n- there's no sense of comfortable uh, comfortability in this in this film I agree yeah. there's no nobody's off the hook right they, they're paying for whatever they're getting yeah yeah which exactly. is usually what they want but mm-hmm. they don't know and uh, I would have said this as my movie magic moment of the week, but I want to talk about it now, which is the final shot. Yeah. Which is something that I really wish more directors would take a chance and do. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't want to say what it is, of course, for spoilers, but I feel yeah. like uh, when the film begins, it's very clear about what the, each character wants, what each character is desiring. And then by the film's end, those characters you know, have gotten or haven't gotten what they wanted. But I feel like that final shot really says without words exactly how each character has ended up, mm-hmm. how each character is bound to a certain fate. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was like one of the best shots I've seen all year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I wish we could unpack that because I really want yeah. to. I really want to talk about that final shot, but we'll save that for another <laughs> another conversation, I suppose. Yeah. Once it's not playing, uh, once it's not playing at the state anymore. Maybe Oscars time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, that's suffice it to say there is no free lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about Roma? Have you guys seen Roma? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I have to say I was not prepared mm. at all walking into Roma. I had a basic idea of what mm-hmm. the plot was. Mm-hmm. I knew that it was Alfon- Alfonso Cuaron. I knew it was, it was set in Mexico City, and that was it. I was not prepared by the weight that that movie brought with yeah. it. Slowly. Slowly, yes. And yeah. I, w- I, what was so refreshing about it was how natural the acting was in this film. Like he uses long shots pretty much. I, I, I'm not sure if there's a, a shot in that film that's shorter than, than a minute. <laughs> um, and he lets the, these actors move about the set and live their lives and make and make it seem so natural and these are not actors that you've I, i've never seen them in anything else no but it was it was very refreshing to see in that way mm-hmm. yeah i think so i think it um it it calls on some other movies like uh salt of the earth or mm-hmm. i am cuba um and that kind of that genre i don't know if it's a genre but it's mm-hmm. a genre and mm-hmm. uh but it's a different story, and there's lots of stories to be told in mm-hmm. Mexico, and we don't mm-hmm. usually find out about them. And so I'm just so pleased that he, in his career, has flip-flopped back and forth mm-hmm. between yeah. Mexico and Hollywood to, sure. you know, like gaining gaining ground to be able to present something like this mm-hmm. so that um, everyone can see it. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's just beautiful, mm-hmm. really beautiful. It's It would have I – I would expect – the um the kind of treatment that the um that the woman in charge of the housekeeping mm-hmm. gets 
you know, I would expect to see some of that. But I didn't expect to see, um, you know, as the story develops, um, just this is this is a story about a family and they love each other so much. Mm-hmm. But it's also another a story about a woman and f- a fierce woman and responsibility, you mm-hmm. know, where she's she's making decisions about, you know, how much and how little she wants to give in this situation. Mm-hmm. And um, and apparently it's largely based on memories from Alfonso Cuaron's growing up right. in yeah. Mexico. Yeah, he's called it a love letter to the women who raised him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And it it is very pro... It was very pro. It's very pro family and pro mother. It's 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 I, and that, that was something I wasn't expecting. I didn't know about it walking in, is how he treats the male characters in the film, or how the how not not how he treats them, but how how who these male characters are, and that they're kind of they're dead. They're boys. They're they're boys. That's they're a all good, boys. Yeah, they're all just little boys. <laughs> and it is the um, he. I think he very very well displayed the the pressures and what is expected of you as as a mother especially in the 70s i think that um he displayed that era very well yeah. also yeah again i'm trying really trying to to dance around plot points here but i think one thing that the movie has in spades is authenticity mm. because like we said, it's based off his uh, his own lived experiences. Mm-hmm. But even then, I it seemed like the kind of movie that was just as interested as the things, uh, just as interested in the things going on in the background of each shot mm-hmm. as the yes. things in the foreground. The fighting scene. So many, mm-hmm. yeah, so many little details that just had to be controlled. Um, mm-hmm. It's really such a such a deep movie and Mm -hmm. by deep i mean like you can look deep in the frame of any shot yeah Mm -hmm. and that's what was so satisfying about seeing it on a big screen because funnily enough it's also available on netflix day and date of its release date yeah (laughs) but seeing it on a big screen you could really appreciate the the world i mean when i say the world i don't mean like middle earth Mm -hmm. i mean our world our real world yeah yeah, it's very uh, yeah. It is extremely well choreographed, and I'll go even further. Uh, seeing it in the main th- in, in in the theater is its own experience because you hear he even put touches in the audio. Yeah, and especially in the main theater where the the spe- there's speakers almost behind you. Uh, he w- there's like shouting and and people talking in the background and you'll hear it by, at, like at, behind your right shoulder and you hear it behind your left shoulder and it all felt so extremely intentional yeah, like he didn't just like throw in audio clips that was mm-hmm. very intentional oh i thought power. people in the audience yeah. were talking <laughs> <laughs> and another another thing i admire about that movie is that it doesn't try to t- get its point across with any sort of platitudes That's right. or any kind of you know doesn't need story it. structure or screenplay tricks or anything like yeah. that it's so real mm-hmm. and so obviously true to anyone who's seen a story like that mm-hmm. that it just felt obvious and the, the, the authenticity that you talked about i wondered about that how how hard was it for him to produce those really large scenes mm-hmm. the seeing as it was set in the 70s yeah right, which is right. Now. oh god mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. almost 20 years ago yeah. almost 
I'm not even going to say it out loud. <laughs> I mean, he's, Cuaron is no stranger to big budget movies now. Right. right? Or big productions like this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I don't know if he's done a, a I want to call this a period piece. Right. But, I mean, oh, Children of Men had the same kind of scale. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it's 2019 now. Um, I'm a period piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean, like, Children of Men yeah. had a similar kind of uh, scale at times yeah. during its war scenes. And, mm-hmm. of course, Gravity had a gigantic budget. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this, this film is probably a little closer mm-hmm. to something like Itumama Tambien yeah. for its subject mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, l- l- let's move on and talk about some of our upcoming film series that are going on at the Michigan State. And before we do that, I just wanted to kind of talk generally. Try, I'd really try to <laughs> use our namesake and get behind the marquee and kind of take audiences uh, and explain exactly why we do film series at the Michigan and State Theater. And a lot of that is, uh, as, as an art house cinema, something uh, that you don't... I mean... It, it, we're we're not rare by any means, but you don't you don't there were our house cinemas aren't located in every town. That's right. And so, our goal at, at the Michigan Theater and as an our house cinema is to give you experience to give you an experience that you can't get in your everyday, you know, cineplex or multiplex. And is it, I say it's it's our mission to educate audiences as well as entertain, and it's why. With uh, with the three series that we're going to discuss, there's some artistic merit to them, and there's something important about these films that we have to understand in order to progress. It's like learning history. You have to uh, in history, you have to learn where you came from in order to move forward. That uh, that old adage. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure if I quite said that correctly. But um, so starting with the, like, the, the icons of anime series, and this is our upcoming anime series, Wednesday at the State Theater. And these are four important uh, Japanese animated films. And I'm going to let you talk a little bit about this, Nadine. But you were, you, you were uh, a strong voice in programming uh, this series. And I, yeah. I, I want to know exactly. So we're playing Akira, Perfect mm-hmm. Blue, Spirited Away and Your Name. They yeah. all come from different decades. How do they, how do these differ from one another? Well, uh, it's true. They all come from different decades. And I think it's important to note that uh, no films are made in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And all films build off of previous films. So Your Name, uh, which is probably the lightest, mm-hmm, yeah, probably the lightest okay. of all four of the movies is also the most recent one. Yeah, 2016, I believe. Yeah, um, and it carries influences from, of course, Japanese animated television, uh, very famous for its melodrama. Mm-hmm. But even film techniques seen in movies like Perfect Blue, which we're also showing from the 90s, uh, especially in its editing, are pretty prominent in a movie like Your Name. Okay. But... As far as the differences between the movies, well, Akira is a sort of sci-fi classic, which is based off of a manga. Yeah. Uh, Perfect Blue is a mystery thriller. Right. Uh, it's based off a novel. Off a novel? Uh, not, That's not, right. Not, not a manga, a novel? No, it's based off a, really? a Japanese novel. Okay. Uh, Spirited Away is an original work, of course, mm-hmm. by... 
uh, Studio Ghibli, mm-hmm. which is probably the most famous um, Japanese animated studio in the United States, thanks to its partnership with Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Your Name is the most recent one, and it did pretty well when it came out here in the States, but it's defi- it does not yet have the prestige of any of these other three films. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, and and, uh, it's, and and these are all for different audiences, right? Like the, I I expect like some families and some kids are going to be showing up for Spirited Away. I think absolutely. And your name is that a is your that... name? I would say is a probably a teen movie. Okay. It's a it's a teen romance movie. Okay. Akira is of course for the nerds. Yeah. Uh, but Perfect Blue is probably the most. Well, I wouldn't call it conventional, but it is. It, it felt. It felt to me. I haven't seen it, but as I was doing some research and studying uh-huh. on it, it felt to me like a noir. It's like a noir, a, like like a David yeah. Lynch noir. Ooh. Yeah, it's like it's David like Lynch teen <laughs> romance noir. <Yeah. laughs> no, no, no. The for Perfect Blue is actually my favorite one of all four of these movies, okay. and I would describe it as uh, if Alfred Hitchcock had made. A Japanese anime. <laughs> oh, awesome! Yeah, it's a, uh, it's about a pop idol, a Japanese pop idol in the '90s, who decides to end her career as a pop idol and instead transition to being a television actress, and how she tries to reconcile those two identities with herself, okay. uh, and it's all in the sort of light of her extreme fandom. And how her fans perceive her image changing, going from a pop star, you know, one sort of fame into mm-hmm. a different sort of fame, and about how it affects her own psyche. And it's really incredible. I I remember watching it for the first time and being absolutely blown away mm-hmm. at the storytelling tricks it uses to blend the characters. Uh, well, I I don't want to say what happens, of course, but. <laughs> It, it sort of jumps across time very mm-hmm. frequently and makes you feel just as confused as the protagonist. Oh, okay. Uh, it's actually, as of right now, the, or at least as of yesterday when I checked, it's the one with the least number of tickets sold so far. Yeah. But I would strongly recommend that people go out of their way to see it because I think uh, it'll be a big surprise. Oh, perfect. Uh, how... Perfect blue. Per- yeah. <laughs> See? No, no, I just have to say, that yeah. when you say Akira is for the nerds, yeah. you say that lovingly, right? Oh, absolutely. I love Akira. But it's it's gotten, out of all these, I think it has the most nerd cachet, yeah. I fanboy. guess. Yeah, I... fanboy. I mean, it's from the 80s, so it's had some time to build up a sort of uh, like Gen X millennial fan base. And it's very like graphically violent but also very stylistically mm-hmm. have, have you both seen it no i just i just oh, watched yeah. the the great um youtube trailer for it oh sure so. um mm. it's it's a beautiful movie and it's really it's a really amazing story mm-hmm. uh and so when i say it's for the nerds what i mean is it has a i mean it's the one show in this series that we've already added a second showtime for because yeah. the oh, first nice. one already showed out mm-hmm. uh sold out mm-hmm. so it's that's the movie that doesn't need any help uh bigging it up yeah all the yeah. nerds already know about it <laughs> but it, w- w- when you say like uh uh 
when you say it's for the nerds, I yeah. I, I, I think, but the, 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 I think that's the general. If we're talking about a very general audience, mm-hmm. when anime comes up, unfortunately, yeah. that's mm-hmm. kind of that. Yeah, that, that's the audience that people like. People will see anime and like that's not for me. Right. How how can you can you compare anime as a or can you name it as an influence to some modern animation today that people are more familiar with or something to try try when you say modern animation do you mean like or, american or, animation yeah, american animation yeah sorry i yeah or, i yeah. mean or i can't imagine there's a single animator out there who hasn't seen akira and hasn't loved mm-hmm. it the level of artistic ingenuity on display in that movie alone is kind of revolutionary mm-hmm. um perfect blue I know directly inspired the work of American director Darren Aronofsky. In oh. fact, he bought the film rights to remake it. Um, personally, I feel like he kind of based his entire career off that movie. <laughs> and in fact, in the movie uh, Black Swan, yeah, I think it's Black Swan, there's a shot of the main character in the bathtub, which was literally ripped straight from Perfect mm. Blue. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he's he's never been shy about admitting his influence from that movie. Okay. And I mean, Spirited Away. Uh, I mean, I want to say I need not say more. It's a cl- it's a modern animation classic. Mm-hmm. It was, I think, the first movie that Disney picked up when they did their deal with Studio Ghibli because at the time, uh, Pixar had or no, not Pixar had, I, uh, some some level of Disney executive John mm-hmm. Lasseter mm-hmm. who recently left. Oh, yeah. Um, he was a huge champion of Studio Ghibli, and bringing Spirited Away to American audiences was such a gigantic success for Disney that mm-hmm. it just, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Your Name is only from 2016, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in the years to come, that one will definitely be considered a classic. It's already popular enough. Oh. It just needs time. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to uh, to catch up. This uh, Japanese Japanese cinema in general, and mm. especially anime, is uh, unfortunately a blind spot for me. So yeah. I'm I'm excited to catch up on to catch up on these films. One reason that I really love Japanese anime is that the creators are not limited by any sort of rules of realism mm-hmm. or production. Uh, they can really just do whatever they want. We showed a movie uh, not too long ago called Mirai. Yes, we, we talked Mirai. about it in the podcast. Yeah. And I mean, that movie isn't limited by the rules yeah. of <laughs> physics at all. Yeah. Uh, and I really appreciate that animators really take advantage of the medium and tell stories that would, you know, cost hundreds of millions of dollars if they mm-hmm. tried to do it live action. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I I hope that everyone else, everyone else seems to be really excited for this anime series. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, we we suggest that you get them as soon as you can because, like N- Nadim said, uh, Akira has already sold out its its first screening, and we've yes. added a nine thirty one. And don't so. be shy. Lately, we've been getting a lot of sellouts, and uh, you know, come on by the theater when we're open and buy tickets. Yes. In advance. Yes. Yes. Please yes. Do. <laughs> yes. You can stop by whenever we are open to buy tickets for. Showtime's up to a week in advance. <laughs> um, so uh, some other series that, we, that we've got going on, Musical Mondays, Mondays in, uh, in, in uh, this month. And we are playing On the Town, Singing in the Rain, and Hello, Dolly. Holy cow. And 
all of these have, I mean, they're all, yes, they're all musicals, but these are all films that are uh, uh, Gene Kelly is associated with. Oh. He, I mean, he's obviously in On the Town and Singing in the mm-hmm. Rain, and he directed Hello, Dolly. Did he? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Didn't know. Uh, it's, it's the 70th anniversary of, of On the Town, the 50th anniversary of Hello, Dolly, and Singing in the Rain is just a good time. So we had to so we had oh, to yeah. we, we had to throw that that film in there. What are your what are your experiences with these films? Are we all familiar with these films? Oh yeah, who yeah. I mean I want to say who isn't, but <laughs> hopefully there's some people who aren't. But really, I think musicals are one of the best reasons to come to a movie mm-hmm. theater. Mm-hmm. Having having a beautiful song fill a movie hall is mm-hmm. uh something you can't really replicate anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And you know, my mom my mom fell. We spent the day in the emergency room on the first. Oh. Yes. And uh, I managed to pull up, make them laugh. Oh, perfect. <laughs> on my iPad. <laughs> just just to change her mood and to get her to stop complaining about the room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. It I, worked. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> for us, our, our, you know, it's, it's January, it's the new year. And for us uh, in, in programming, we just thought, what is the best way to kick off? A new year and and uh, keep in, in, the, in the most spirited fashion, mm-hmm. and it was of course musicals. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, and you the, got a couple of other ones coming up too, right? Yes, yes, we've, we've got Frozen and The Greatest Showman that are coming up as well. And if you like to see little girls <laughs> wearing princess outfits outside of mm-hmm. the princess competition at school, mm-hmm. <laughs> come to the Michigan. It is adorable. It is. It is so much fun. Last we played the Greatest Showman sing along last September, and we had close to 700 people show up. I have to say, when I walked out on stage because I I helped introduce the last screening of the Greatest Showman, I walked out on stage. And as soon as the lights dimmed, the crowd erupted in applause. It was like I was at a rock concert. I've never felt this way before in my entire life. And the rest, we're not going to tell you not to sing. If, if, if you want to come to Singing in the Rain and you want to sing, no one's going to stop you. But they're both going to be in the main theater. And like Nadim said, there's nothing that this is what that is what the main theater was for, to show yeah. movies like Singing in the Rain on the big screen again. Absolutely. And uh, so... And then Hello Dolly, I have to say, hearing Walter Matthau sing in Hello Dolly <laughs> is is worth the ticket enough. <laughs> uh, but apparently, I, I as I'm just gonna do a quick uh, digression. I was uh, as I was doing some 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 back history, or I was looking back on some history of Hello Dolly. And Walter Matthau and Barbara Streisand did not like each other, nope. as, as it turns out. And I did not know this. There's even a story that uh, during uh, during a break of from production, Walter Matthau and somebody else they went to a horse track, and <laughs> there was uh, a horse called Hello Dolly, and Walter Matthau wouldn't put money on it because it reminded him of Barbara Streisand, <laughs> and wow. he hated Barbara Streisand oh, that much. And then I think the horse won. And uh, he he was and then he he blamed his his friend for taking him there and he 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 didn't talk to his friend oh, for no. a while. <laughs> a quick little behind the scenes story, yeah, but I, it is a lovely movie. You don't see it. You don't see it on screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then coming up on Tuesdays we have our a Nicholas Rogue retrospective. Nicholas Rogue died just a few years ago, and this is our paying tribute to his films. And uh, just this last year, yeah, just this last year, I think it was last November, age 90. 
age 90 and he was a uh, he was uh, a, a highly success- successful director but he was also a cinematographer he worked yeah. as a cinematographer on Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago uh, so he is he was extremely sensitive as a director to where the camera was placed and uh, his editing especially is what he's he's known for he's known for this this disjointed editing style that you know the likes of Christopher Nolan have gone on to say that he um, he was a main inspiration to his work. I mean, uh, Christopher Nolan couldn't have made Memento without the uh, Don't Look Now. Without without Don't Look Now. Without that that precedent that Nicholas Rogue, um, what he put out. What's uh What's your experience with uh, Nicholas Rogue, Jean Marie? You you told me you have a lot to say about Nicholas Rogue. <laughs> I can talk about it a little bit. We'll see what comes out, but. Okay. Um, yeah, he he did a couple of other ones that we're not going to be showing, but that are fun to look up. Mm-hmm. Um, and one is Aria, which had tw- uh, ten directors. Mm-hmm. And don't yawn into the microphone. <laughs> ten directors. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, ten directors, uh, and they take arias, different arias. And, oh, okay. Uh, and make these rather body, rather naughty. Um, videos. It's like mm-hmm. a string of videos, music videos, two arias, mm-hmm. opera arias, and uh, and he did one. And uh, with his, I don't know if she was then his wife, Teresa Russell. Okay. But um, became his wife, and he did a very famous one called Walkabout, mm-hmm. and that's the story of uh, an Aboriginal, a Native Australian, and the right that the um, Aboriginals have about uh, son coming of age. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rogue's own son was in this. And it's a very strange story with Jenny Agata, Um And she was in Werewolves of London? No, that's the song. It's a movie, too. Werewolf in London? An American Werewolf. American yeah, Werewolf yeah, yeah, in yeah. London. I knew it was yeah. something like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, she's she's the nurse. And so she's, oh, okay. she's younger than that in this movie. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Ah, uh, yeah, so that's a beautiful film, and it has some of the same kind of disjointed jump cuts mm-hmm. and panning of scenery that's um, so beautiful in mm-hmm. The Man Who Fell to Earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I love that movie. I just watched it again. I don't know when I watched it the first time, but mm-hmm. Man Who Fell to Earth mm-hmm. uh, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, for many years, thought it was The Tall Blonde Man with One Black Shoe. <laughs> That's a different film. <laughs> and uh, The Witches I don't really know about other than there was some kind of controversy with Roald Dahl. Yeah, he didn't like yeah. the film. <laughs> he didn't like the ending especially. Yeah, he th- I think he felt he, he didn't like uh, the positive ending of, of, of the, the film adaptation <gasps> where his, uh, yeah, his, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I I don't remember how how Roald Dahl's book ends, but it, it it yeah it it ends on on a more somber note than what the what the film does. And at the same time, he was also distressed by both the um, vulgarity and actual terror. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so God. run right out and see it. <laughs> the witches, I think, scarred an entire generation of children <laughs> who had never seen a Nicholas Rogue film before, <laughs> didn't know what they were getting into. Yeah. The, 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 if if we're Talking about cinema revolutionaries, Nicholas Rogue has to be included on that list because each of these films pushed some sort of boundary. Sure. Like Don't Look Now has a very famous sex scene in it. And 
uh, Rogue actually had to cut nine frames from that scene in order to... Nine frames? Yeah, just nine frames in order to avoid the film getting an X rating. <laughs> and and it, it, you watch it today, and I feel like I've seen worse on, on screen, but I, I mean, this was... Uh, in in its time, this is a very revolutionary. When no thing. one had ever had sex before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one in America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the the man who fell to earth. When you, when you bring David Bowie on, <laughs> on on onto the set of a film, and David Bowie came with a sense of uh, androgyny, like he was a very just a very an- anamorphous type. Person. He's the perfect and, act, actor to play an alien. Yeah, he's a, and it's the perfect choice to play an alien. And you watch it today, and it makes so much sense as well, uh, because he he was he was that type of that type of depiction of the human body or of the male body, especially, wasn't something you saw on on screen that much. No. And David Bowie was very you know like like I said, he was a very androgynous person. <laughs> and then the witches. Uh, that's all Jim Henson's puppetry makes makes that that film and may yeah it may be a little scarring to some kids <laughs> but at the same time you know it's um you don't you don't see the you don't see that type of production in films today and i think that i think it was actually Jim Henson's last film that he was ever uh that he ever over that he oversaw in his career and uh, just the, the you know puppetry. Then you had the Muppets, and they're mostly fam. The, the Muppets are family friendly, and the Witches is is family friendly still. But yeah, it's on, on the darker side. He was kind of delving into something there, that was pushing, pushing the limits. Now I have to see it. Yeah. <laughs> but I did see um, Don't Look Now a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Forgot all about it and rewatched the ending scene. And I think <laughs> David Lynch is completely. Inspired by by oh, Nicholas yeah. Rogue, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I'll just say, little red cape. <laughs> Leave it at that. I think the I know lots of directors turn to that movie as a benchmark in nonlinear storytelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I looking back on it now, when I watched it, I liked it, but I think it's it's a uh, its influence is so vast that now it's like it seems essential it seems like part of movie making mm-hmm. when you watch don't look now mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of amazing to to behold yeah yeah that this uh, this series will be tuesdays at the state beginning with don't look now we hope to see everyone there uh, so before we wrap up the podcast here, we're going to get to our movie magic moments of the week. And for those, who've, for those of you who don't know, this is when we talk about something we've seen recently that we can recommend to you and something that we like to say reminded us why we love film and television, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, Nadim, what do you got? Uh, my movie magic moment is the film uh, Into the Spider-Verse. The new Sony Pictures Marvel collaboration, the new Spider-Man film. Mm -hmm. Uh, This movie is not just a good superhero movie, but it's kind of a a masterclass in animation. Mm -hmm. It it can best be described, I think, as a comic book movie Mm -hmm. because the visuals in the film are 
inspired by comic books, not only literally in their use of like uh, text bubbles on screen yes. to, to narrate, but also in the way characters are animated. So the film is is projected at 24 frames per second, like you know most films, mm-hmm. but the characters are all animated at 12 frames per second. Uh, and that kind of gives the effect of seeing a comic book in action. Mm-hmm. It's like your eyes are moving from panel to panel, seeing the characters change from pose to pose very quickly. Mm-hmm. And also the the movie doesn't use any motion blur at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, I mean, comics obviously can't have motion mm-hmm. blur, but the way that the filmmakers overcome it by sort of aping things from old 2D animation, like for instance, when a character's hand moves really fast, they add in some extra geometry next to the hand to make mm-hmm. to make just make it look like it's moving really fast. And it's all these little details that add up to make a style that I don't think I've ever seen in any other movie mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a movie that's going to be studied for mm-hmm. many years to come. And it's funny. It's re- they're, 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 it, I mean, is, yeah, yeah, even on top of the animation, yeah, yeah. it's an amazing story. Yeah. It's so entertaining and funny. Uh, and it's really heartwarming and mm-hmm. emotional and has a really true emotional core. Mm-hmm. And a great uh, a, a great homage to the the Spider-Man films of the early 2000s. That, yeah. That's I, 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 the very beginning that you see, you've see, they, they, they reference a lot of those early Spider-Man films. And I really enjoyed that. I think <laughs> what really sets it apart from all of the Marvel movies that have been released recently is that it is very comfortable acknowledging the legacy of Spider-Man films in the United States and how many there have been and mm-hmm. how some of them haven't been that great. Some <laughs> of them have been really good, but also really acknowledging that Spider-Man is probably the most universally loved superhero in the whole world and being very comfortable with that legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, Nadine. Yeah. Jean Marie, what do you have? Uh Man who fell to earth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just watched it again, so I'm. It's just very fresh, oh, and, and and I'm. I again, all roads lead to La Jetée because yeah. it's. I'm seeing brother from another planet mm-hmm. in oh, it, yeah. yeah, and uh, you know the the taking out the eye, and mm-hmm. I don't want to give too much away, but you know there's I mean, taking what, out of eyes. I feel like if you spoil that movie, no one's gonna know what you're talking. Nobody's about gonna. Anyway, right? Nobody's gonna care. Like we can talk about like. <laughs> Like the gun at the end, but no one will know yeah, what we're talking that, about. I don't know. About that. <laughs> <laughs> that was just strange, but um, yeah, and uh, the city of lost children, all these various things, but the jump shots and the stills and all these things that mm-hmm. he was doing mm-hmm. that seemed to me, you know, like the excess and the drugs and the mm-hmm. uh, the stories around this film mm-hmm. are legend, you know, from why didn't Bowie do the soundtrack? He was initially supposed to be doing that, and it mm-hmm. turned out to be John Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas who did it, <laughs> and then he ends up somehow with Bianca Jagger in bed while his wife, who was supposed oh. to play Candy Clark's part, um, finds them together. Oh my God. So yeah, a lot of excess is just all over the place. But, um, but it's a really good window into 1970s drug addled rock culture. Okay. And excess, which was just all over his movies, I would say in general. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's good history. All right. Thank you. Man who fell to earth. Thank you. Uh, so mine over while I was, I had a few days off, 
I watched most of, most of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. I just mm. finished it last night. I've seen the first episode of that, and I it, liked it more than I thought I would. There was something I'm not. I don't want to say that there's no artistic merit to it, but it was more to me. It was it was very co- a very cozy watch. Mm-hmm. I, I felt just nice watching watching this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was there's not a lot of distractions in it. I'm I'm not going to talk about though. They they do have a a great use of long takes. Uh, there, there's some great performances in it, and there's a lot of sweeping shots that you move around this apartment, and in a world, in, in a period piece that is very difficult, because if you're going to be moving the camera all around the set, you need to have a complete set. It's not like we're going to go into this modern diner, we're going to put some 50 stuff on a wall, and we're going to show you this wall. No, they move around the diner, mm-hmm. and you you really feel immersed in this uh, of of this 1958 1959 New York City and i it, it it's a great throwback to these to these old stand up performances uh these old stand up performers and you uh, it shows us like this this time uh, the 1950s on the verge like a culture on the verge of collapse you know with a like, countercultural counterculture you know is just around the corner and it's uh, you know Mrs. Uh, the main character Mrs. Maisel she has this very uh, this very raunchy style of comedy that is being that she's being influenced by Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce is a is a recurring character in the show as well, but it's showing you a style of comedy that you don't see often. A lot of comedy today, everyone gets meta. You know, the the, the joke is within the joke. Mm-hmm. Or this is a style of comedy where you, you like you go up. You have some jokes, you know. There's the you the, literally have you, some jokes. You, you have to have jokes. Yeah, like you have with to have multiple punchlines and everything. Yeah, you have to be a performer. You have to. You're you're going up and and there's a just there's a show around the production uh, or there's the, there's a production around the act of stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was it was a really refreshing, uh, refreshing watch. the The show is very quick. It's very witty, and it's one. Emmy's uh, mm-hmm. two years running, right? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, it, it won last year. I think the, the the second season just dropped at the beginning of December, oh. but it's expected to pick up uh, awards again. I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, that's what I have to say about it. Um, so that's about wraps up uh, behind the marquee. Thank you for listening again. Thank you, Jean Marie and Nadim, for You're joining welcome. joining me here again. No We're, problem. Uh, thank you to the Ann Arbor District Library, as always for uh, letting us come in and record. We're going to be back in your feed in a couple weeks. Uh, visit uh, the Michigan and State Theater website, michtheater.org and statetheater2.org. Thanks, Matt. Oh, Matt's back. Hey, thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, visit the Ann Arbor District Library's website, aadl.org. You can check out some of the titles that we've mentioned in this, in this episode. We're going to be back in your feed in a couple weeks, so keep an eye out for us, and thank you for joining us behind the marquee. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>